What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am one of your hosts, John, and with me as always is Daniel Terry. Welcome to this international episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. How are you doing? Going to Brazil. We're going to Brazil. We're going to Brazil. Give me that that white and yellow and green flag. I feel like Brazil's flag almost looks like Jamaica's flag. I feel like it's the same flag. Question marks? We're probably wrong. We're not going to look it up. I mean, we're just not. Um, anyway, this episode's guest is Theo Vanderloo of Ego Kill Talent. Uh, this episode was done a little bit ago uh, when we still thought Sonic Temple was going to happen and concerts were going to be a thing you got to go to. Um, as of when we're recording this, none of those things are happening. Um but you know what? That actually doesn't negate this interview. Uh, despite some of the audio issues of calling someone from here in Michigan all the way to Brazil, uh, which, you know, fuck you if you think you can make that phone call and not have any kind of uh, connection issues, uh, we have some, just so you know. But I don't think that that negates the interview that we have, and I don't think that negates the fact that you probably don't know this band but they're actually pretty fucking solid. And the crazier thing, they've actually played with a lot of fucking bands that you know and don't realize are as big of a deal uh, just because they haven't made it here in the States. Uh, so I love doing some of these kind of interviews where we get to introduce you to new bands, new, no pun intended, new talent. And uh, I don't know if this tag still applies, but I'm going to I'm gonna wear it like a Facebook badge. Uh, I was told that uh, this was one of the first U.S. interviews that this band has done. So I'm going to go ahead and say this is one of the first uh, U.S. interviews you're going to hear of this band. So we're, we're breaking new talent to you guys. We absolutely are. One of my favorite things about this uh, interview was kind of kind of revealing the fact that just because a band's not huge in the u.s doesn't mean they're not massively huge elsewhere i mean how often i mean so i'm thinking of like a band like ojira or i'm thinking of like a band like um i mean there's so there's so many bands honestly that by the time we hear them here in the states if they're not from here you're like oh here's this new band like dan how many times as a big metal fan have you imported a record of a band that you got into soil work I was going to say soil work, but <laughs> I didn't want to necessarily just assume. But, you know, you find a band and you're like, oh, I fucking love this band. Only to find out they've been around for fucking 12 or 15 years overseas before you ever heard of them here. Well, yeah, I mean, look at Sepultura, you know. Absolutely. Um, prime example of that. Brazil's best kept, best kept secret for a while. And, um, you know, there, there's so many bands. Like, when we talk about how, like, Within Temptation is, is huge, just not in the U.S. You know, like... I mean, and that that makes tons of sense. There's a reason why every single time a band is like, hey, we're going on tour, somebody's like, come to Brazil, because they don't know. It's absolutely true, and Eagle Kill Talent is one of those bands that when you listen to them, you may not necessarily assume that we would be the ones talking about this band or breaking this band to you, but I think you're going to kind of find a lot of interesting 
subgenres that we do cover on this podcast that we are major fans of. Uh, Dan, you know, sometimes will joke that uh, with some of the more underground bands that we cover on this podcast that, you know, it's more in his wheelhouse and I'm more of the mainstream guy. But I actually think Eagle Kill Talent is one of those bands that kind of appeals to Dan and I, both of our sensibilities of what we're looking for. They kind of have underground, interesting roots and subcultures of a lot of things. They kind of remind you a little bit of Chevelle. They have kind kind of more heavier aggressive tendencies that you might find in some of the more aggressive bands we have on this podcast they have more pop sensibilities than maybe we've had on this show but i think like the point of this interview initially this is a perfect band for something like sonic temple i know sonic temple is not happening i know most of the danny wimmer festivals at this point aren't happening but i think a band like eagle kill talent i mean fuck it there is a reason that bands like queens of the stone age foo fighters metallica system of a down are all taking this band out when they are touring overseas because they have something that appeals to not only their demographic, but others as well. And so I think if you are not aware of who they are, you're doing yourself a great disservice of not finding one of those great international bands that you probably will start hearing within the next year or two here in the States. I agree. And I think, you know, like you said, John, you know, in the interview that they're the kind of band that when you go to a big festival and you're like, you kind of walk away with like, wow, that, that band that I saw was really, really, really great. I'd never heard anything by them before. I'm so glad I went here. Maybe you went to the festival to see a way bigger band, but you know, you're, you're still there. So I think in that regard, you know, a band like this could really, really, really shine. It's unfortunate with the circumstances that they were not able to attend because no, nobody is. <laughs> but uh, I, I think I think uh, they're definitely a band that, as hard as it is to say and as cheesy as it is to say, oh, you should check them out. You really should. Absolutely. It's definitely one of those things for me where, you know, I just, I, I love getting the opportunity to sometimes interview some of these lesser known bands with some of the Vernus Fest uh, preview episodes we've done with Sonic Temple preview fest that we've done. It's one of those things where obviously we're big fans of music, live music and so forth. And is one of those things where I, I just, I know that we're passionate about music and we want to bring people new, exciting music. And whether this is something necessarily in your wheelhouse, I, I do think there is something here for a lot of hard rock, rock metal fans as, you know, there's, there's some kind of fun off kilter time signature shit and, you know, just interesting choruses and, and a lot of cool things that you're not, you're not hearing currently. And it's, uh, it's one of those things where I think this is a band that everyone should know about. And instead of just talking about why I think you should know about this band, let's just fucking get into the conversation with Theo of Ego Kill Talent, and you'll know why you should be listening to this band. So we will talk to you afterwards. So 
So I had the pleasure of talking to Theo, uh, guitarist of the band Eagle Kill Talent, whose latest single is now is out now. That's kind of a, a fun little phrase to say. So I know this kind of sounds uh, cliche to to ask this question right out of the gate, but it seems like your band has kind of come out of nowhere to a lot of the fans here in the states and and maybe abroad as well. After the news of you getting the System of a Down and Metallica gigs uh, had been announced, so for those maybe who aren't aware, uh, the fact that you have a record out currently uh from a couple years ago uh how would you describe eagle kill talent and uh what you know is the best way to kind of describe your band hey uh wow man it's always so hard to describe your own music uh yeah i mean it's that's i keep trying to shit how i'm gonna put this in words because uh the way this band came to life was really because we wanted to express something uh it was not like it i i Sometimes I say that it's, it was not like we were, okay, let's do a, a, a band because we want to be in a band. It could be a book. It could be like a painting. We were just like, let's, let's say something about what we believe. Uh, the thing is, we are friends for so many years. I mean, I know some of the guys in the band for like 18 years almost 20 years. So we've been friends and we've been talking about live issues and thoughts and, you know, we love philosophy. And so to talk about, you know, that's how the name came, came up by the way. But we were like, if there's something we love to talk about, let's, let's make it like music about it, you know? So that, that was how it starts. And my point is by chance it is music and by chance it is rock you know, and it sounds as it sounds. It was just more like something that we felt like we should give life for. And that's how the band came together. But if I would try to go and put in like a how to say category, I would say it's like it's heavy rock and pop, you know, in, a, in, in some, some way. Because we just, we love heavy bands. We, I mean, John played in Sepultura for seven years. Well, we are huge Metallica fans. We love heavy music, but at the same time, we love like the more of a rock stuff, like the Foo Fighters, Queens of the Stone Age, and we also love pop melodies like Phil Collins, Lenny Kravitz, and I think it's a mix of all that. In the end of the day, I think that's it. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. It's actually kind of funny you bring up some of those influences. Yeah. Um, and I know for me, like, uh, in the last couple of days, I've been doing a lot of chats with uh, artists that maybe you wouldn't expect on a proverbial hardcore metal uh, podcast. But, um, you know, something that's interesting about your, at least the last full length that you put out, is it feels familiar without feeling stale, if that makes any sense. You know, there is some kind of vocal uh, melodies cool. yeah. uh, that in hearing it, it kind of reminded me of Finch's second record where it's kind of got this aggression to it, but the music doesn't necessarily add up to the vocal delivery. Like it kind of, it's almost kind of off kilter a little bit and kind of makes it go, huh, I wasn't expecting this riff or this vocal melody to kind of come over the music. And, and as such, it just as you listen to the record, it just keeps you guessing what's coming next. Cause it's, like I said, it's familiar, but it's not. And, I vote, I kind of thought that was really interesting in Yeah, that's uh yes, actually sometimes even we do we go like like in the first record or some songs that we were like shit this it feels like I've heard this melody before and we were like trying to find out where and there was like nowhere, you know, and it just like something that I don't know, it's 
it's weird and and the guitar riffs are, are something that we really dig working on. I mean, we have so many guitar riffs that we haven't used yet. Like we just we just recorded the last album, which which uh, we're gonna release in a couple months, um, uh, and we already have riffs from before that album that were like, okay, we love these riffs. They didn't make to this album, but they will be in the next one. So guitar riffs are something that we really enjoy. I think the fact that we have a, uh, a drummer who plays guitars, because I, I guess you know that we switch instruments. So uh, the drummers, they play guitar and bass. And when a drummer thinks a guitar riff, they have like different tools, rhythmically. You know, they, they can think in the different ways, the rhythms. So this is, I think it's also makes some contrast, you know, when you go like a very pop melody that, that you like you said you go like yes I, that sounds something like 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 a pop melody that I, I would I think with the pop word world I'm sorry the pop word it takes you in this direction you know it's something that your ears can 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 hold it but in, and then you have guitar riffs that go time wise and rhythm wise they go to different places and that's something that we really love to do you know, I was actually going to bring this up later on, but since you've already talked about it, do you feel that having everyone kind of be multi-instrumentalist and adding to the songwriting actually allows you to not feel or get stagnant in the creative process? Absolutely. Totally. And it, it's like, because you have different, like like I said, you have different approaches to the same instrument. So it just, it feels like we have more colors to paint. You know, that's how it feels. And and also, it's, I've been in bands before. I've been in many bands before this one. And a different thing about this band is you don't have a feeling of ownership. It's like I can play whatever the music, the song asks for. I can if 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 asks for me even bass, I'll be in the bass, you know. And same thing with the drums. And it becomes much more about how it is sounding and and how much it touches us, then, okay, if I did this guitar riff, it must be in, in some, some part of the, of the album. No, it's not like that. It's just like, I don't know, man, it's hard to explain. It's so organic. Well, I think the thing that might be interesting, too, about that is that live, it probably, you don't kind of end up going through the motions of, well, this is my part on this song, and this is how I always play it. Like, it kind of gives you the freedom to, to mix it up a little bit and have more fun in a live setting, oh, too. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and also it's it's it keeps it fresh because it's like okay you've been playing guitar in the first three songs and then you do like five songs in a row in the bass and then you feel the bass you know and you enjoy playing the bass and then when you go back to the guitar are different like it's a different toy you know and then you have fun with something else so it really keeps the show fresh you know and the 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 effects the pedals you use and I mean it's just like. It's it's such a different universe, you know. When you, when you are playing the bass, and it's all about the low, you know, and the heaviness of it, and and then you go to the guitar, and it's for me, it feels like like more aggression, you know. It's more, I know, it's it keeps it fresh, as I said. Um, so you guys are going to be, and where I'll see you is at this year's Sonic Temple Festival, and I know you're on a lot of the Danny Wimmer festivals this year. And, you know, something that was interesting about last year's festival that I don't know if a lot of people paid attention to, but I thought was pretty interesting, was the fact that, you know, you had a lot of international bands on this 
you know, with it taking over from the Rock on the Range name, one of the biggest festivals here in the States. You know, you had bands like The Hives and Refused and Don Broco and a lot of bands, Hands Like Houses, that are from all over the country, all over the world, and basically put their different spin on rock, hardcore, metal, punk, whatever. And I thought it was a really great showcasing of that and you know this year is no different you know with the bands like the who and you guys and i'm just kind of wondering are you noticing that being a trend too where a lot of these american festivals are are looking outward beyond just the u.s to to showcase talents like yourselves yeah i think so too and i think it's everywhere even here here in brazil i mean some korean acts are coming down and i'm like wow i've never heard of them and it's just i think it's so rich because then you have you have access to different to I'm going to use the same metaphor that I just used, but you have access of different colors because if you grow up, I mean, if you grew up in Korea or in Brazil or in the U.S., it's just like you grow up. You grew up through through some shades, you know. Like you, it's that's how you see life. That's how you see to, to, through some lenses, you know. That's how you learn that music should be done, and and then when you start to like to go to different places and have contact with different artists that came from a different background, you just, you, you, you learn some new colors, you know? And yeah, I've been seeing this everywhere. I mean, Europe, it's known for being like this. We were at toured Europe a couple of times and the band I had before, like three or four times. In Europe, it's more like that, you know? But I feel like South America and the US, it's getting more and more open. And I mean, you you named some great bands. We toured with Don Broco in Europe uh, in 2017, and they are amazing life. It's amazing. It's very powerful. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see. You know, like I'm gearing up for, and by the time this comes out, I'll, I'll probably have already done it and talked about it because. Uh, it's only an hour and a half past when I got the email, but uh, I get to talk to Dennis from Refused next week, and mm-hmm. that's a band that I never thought I'd get to see in the states because of them living, you know, not here in the U.S. And uh, as of next week, I think it'll have been the fourth or fifth time I've seen that band, and I seem to kind of have still a healthy respect for enjoying seeing international bands when they're here in the states because I know. It's it's really hard uh, between getting visas all yeah. worked out and getting the financial straight that sometimes we don't get the luxury of getting to see these bands. And, you know, I think Sonic Temple especially is doing a really great job in these festivals are, are doing a great job of doing what the European festival market has been doing. And a lot of the other foreign markets have been doing with their festivals in trying to bring more diversity and bringing a wider range of things because they realize that potentially us as concert goers and fans of music may not get the opportunity to, to see a band like yourself on a club tour because it just financially may not be feasible for a while yeah totally that's it you said it all i mean it's um it's just the visas process are so expensive to get in the states yeah (laughs) yeah and it's like it's uh especially because it's not like just a a single person visa it's like it's a band visa it's like an entity visa right so you have the crew and it makes everything much more expensive. And, and there is also that. I mean, you it's very hard. People, Some people don't understand that. But, like, your sound engineer and your roadies, they are part of it. They are part of the of putting this monster to life, you know. I mean, the sound the sound engineer guy that, that is working with us, he's been with us since the first show. And he really understands the band life. 
And like the roadies, we have so many instrument changes. You have no idea because we use, man, we, there is not one song that the two guitars are in the same tuning. Ugh. Not one. <laughs> so, yeah, man, it's a lot of different tunings and a lot of like changing instruments. So it's like, so it, so it's like this. I played the first song, the first couple songs with one guitar in one tune, right? And then I go to the bass and I play two songs in the bass with one. And then the third song, I still in the bass, but with another tune. So I need to change the bass. And then the, the sixth song, I go back to another tuning. It's another guitar. So it's like, it's so much, man, the road is, they got to be, they are part of the show. So you need to bring all, all those people, you know, the whole crew to the U.S. and pay for the flights and for having them there. And at the same time, if you don't do this, you won't break the market. Right. So it's a it's it's a big puzzle. It's it really is a big puzzle. I mean, we we need to thank BMG so much because they are believing in us so hard and they are like uh, helping us with tool support and marketing and also C three management and William Morris. If we wouldn't have them involved, we wouldn't be able to make this happen. Well, you know, kind of talking more, I guess maybe a little bit behind the scenes on stuff like that. You know. I know a lot of bands, like, you know, when they, they talk about going to Australia, they say, you know what, we're willing to just basically lose and break, basically break even for the experience of going to, to travel to Australia and some of these faraway places. It is interesting to hear, you know, you guys, as this iteration of a band, have only been around, I think, five or six years. And it seems like, you know, you've you've done a lot already, you know, opening for you, some of the bands you mentioned, Queens of the Stone Age, Foo Fighters, you know, getting these opportunities so, so early on in your career. Are you, when you get to play with some of these names and some of the, you know, the System Up and Down and Metallica shows that you're getting ready to do, are you getting to interact with these these legacy bands and are you kind of picking their brain about how they've been able to sustain a career as long as they have and, and trying to apply those things to what you're, you're doing currently? Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Uh, we've, we've toured uh, with the Foo Fighters and Queens of the Stone Age. Uh, we did five stadiums with them here in Brazil. Uh, I think this was 2018, if I'm wrong. And yeah, we did have a chance to hang out with Dave and the rest of the guys of the both bands, and they were super nice to us. Uh, definitely, I am a very curious guy, so and I really, I really like the business side of it. Uh, so I do ask all the questions. You know, I mean, when was the album that changed your your like your career, like and money wise? You know, when it makes like it work. You know, and and to give you the answer, usually it's the third album. Usually it's the third album. So uh, that's the answer I keep getting. Usually it's the third album. We've got to work so hard for the first two, keep working hard for the third. And then some point around promoting the third album, then it, you go like, okay, now we're making some money. It Usually it is, it is, it is as it is. You know, it's been like this since forever. Uh, I read so many books about the music industry and... All of them uh, mention this three albums thing. Usually that's the time it takes to mature an artist, you know. And uh, with uh, also with Serge, the singer, uh, I know them for since before I have this band. And John, John Bomayan, he was actually the first person uh, to see us playing uh, as a band. Like I, I, he was spending uh, vacations here in Brazil with me. And then, like, I, I did, like, a surprise for him. I was like, John, I'm driving you to the studio. 
and I'm going to play for you because I have a band. And he was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I said, yeah, I have a band. And he said, if it's shit, I'm going to tell run in your face. That's how John is. <laughs> and and, I, and I, know, I know. That's why I want to show you. So we entered the studio. We didn't even have a, a singer back then. So we entered there and we played uh, three or four songs, just instrumentals. And then John turns and goes like, I think you have something real here. I think you guys can become like a real uh, big act. And that for us, that was a big push. John, John, it's a big, uh, he had a big role in this band because of, because of being so much, I mean, man, if you have a new band, right, and you have the drummer of System of a Down, one of the biggest rock bands in the world, you know, headliner in any festival they play, and this guy turns to you and say, I think you guys have a, a diamond there. You just got to shape it. You have it. And then that was when we were like, we looked at each other after he left and we was like, yeah, we should, we should push this. We should work hard on this. And so with System, I talked with them constantly. Uh, I spoke actually with John a lot yesterday night about uh, the shows we are doing together. A surge was so kind to post our video uh, three or four days ago and hit all his networks. So all his social media. So it's like, yeah, I think we, we are lucky in that sense, you know, because we have some artists that uh, have, are known and, and like what we are doing. But I would tell you, John, that, John, that I think the most important thing is to work hard, man. You've got to work hard in your art and your music, you know, you just got to do the best you can. And one thing for me that, that works is that whenever we are were, we were writing a song, if when I listen to it, if I don't feel the goosebumps, it's like it's not there yet. And this takes a lot of work. It's, you've got to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And yeah, and, and we get advice from smart people. I do talk a lot with John from System, for instance, and with Surge, you know, and I do take advice from them, you know, like what do you think we should do here? And they go like, yeah, I think you should do this and that. So most of the times we listen. John would say, John would say that we don't listen a lot of times, <laughs> but we do listen most of the time. He seems like in every press thing I've, I've ever seen him do, which seemingly is getting more and more. So I'm hoping that potentially this show will get to a point where I could get him on and talk to him about a lot of the things that he's into. But it is it, it is interesting sometimes, you know, I, I also watch a lot of documentaries on bands, band, you know, the things that accompany CDs, the DVDs of the making of stuff, the behind the music stuff, the books that people put out, because I'm very fascinated by music because I love it so much and I, I want to know more of the stories that make, you know, these, these artists who they are and these albums seminal like they are. And... I sometimes don't feel like when some people get the opportunity, you know, some of these younger bands, like actually a band you're going to be playing with here pretty soon is Greta Von Fleet, and they're from here in Michigan. Um, I actually saw that band, shit, probably six, seven years ago, still as a local band, uh, when the singer, because it's a band of brothers and the drummer is a friend, um, but basically when the oldest members in the band were, I don't even think they were in high school yet, uh, or were just in high school. And to see the meteoric rise of what they've gone through and then basically finding out that they, they've been hanging out and recording with uh, the guy who's in, I think, the Bob Seger, or I'm sorry, he's in Kid Rock's band, but he has ties to, like, Bob Seger and, you know, rich lineage acts that have been around for decades and just have put their touch on on the music scene. And so it's one of those where it's like I, I 
I feel like Greta Von Fleet's success is because of their sound and it, it, it appeals to a, an older demographic, but it's also because they're probably listening to the older people that are telling them like, hey, if you still do these or if you do this X, Y, and Z and put in the work, it will pay off. That I just sometimes don't feel like younger bands take the opportunity of gaining knowledge from their peers or... Oh, it's, I, I totally agree with you, man. I totally agree with you. It's like, look, and this is about anything in life. It's not about, sometimes not about what you think it is. And some and people are going to come to you and say, hey, I, it's not about what you're thinking. And you got to, if you defend your thoughts, because most of the people get so defensive protecting what they think, right? And what they believe. And if you do that, you are stuck with your, with your limitations. And if someone comes to you and go like, hey, man, I'm sorry, but I think you're missing the point here. And you are open. Man, even if that person is wrong, you're going to learn. If you are open, but you got to be open to it. You know? And that's why I remember when we, we, we signed with the C3 management, uh, which it's a big company in the U.S. They, they, they run the Lollapaloozas, you know, Austin City Limits, and they are super pros. And we have a, we have a manager called Tony Couch, and he works, he works there. This guy's been in the industry for like 20 years. And I remember when we had the, the first time we, we spoke in person, uh, I remember he was kind of going around to tell to to say no to me about something that I asked his opinion on. You know, I mean, he was like touchy. You know, like he didn't want he didn't want to confront me. And then I was like, Tony, here's the thing: I have no problem hearing like a different opinion than mine, and I have no problem if the answer is no, and I have no problem if you want to tell me that you think what I'm thinking it's bullshit. I have no problem problem so just feel free to do it whenever you think it's the right call and he was like shit man it's so it's i don't usually use hear this from bands and i was like yeah you're gonna hear this a lot from us you know <laughs> I, I i'd rather i'd rather you put me in the right direction and we get where we want to get than to be in the wrong direction just because i think that's the right one but that's hard man i think it's um i think it's a work in progress forever for, for as long as you're alive, because we're just so used to the, to protect our beliefs, as I said. This, this might be kind of an odd question, but something I've kind of been thinking about as I was listening to a bunch of podcasts today, and some of them were talking about some kind of global issues and so forth, and, you know, with the coronavirus being, you know, all the news right now, but just kind of thinking about how, based on where you are, like, I was thinking about when bands find out, you know, about you, like, this weird Quick story real quick. So I remember when Gojira came out, and I first heard Gojira, and everyone was like, it's this French metal band with a Japanese name, but they're French, and they you know, are a metal band talking about the environment. And you know, that was the narrative I kept hearing. So sometimes it's not even about the music. It's about the story that, that comes before it. And you know, in thinking about you guys coming from Brazil and stuff like that, I've wondered, have you experienced... I don't want to say bias per se, but what is what are some of the things that when you talk to press or whatever from maybe not, from foreign areas, what is something that you keep coming across where people are keep asking you about from being where you are that kind of surprises you because you're like it's not anything I would ever think of. Oh, okay. Like uh, missing the point, you mean? Like people make questions that are, are absolutely missing the point about about Brazil. Is that it? Sure. Or, or yeah. yeah, just about like where you live. Because I mean. 
I was telling like someone that I was talking to a band from Brazil, and they're like, "Oh, like Sepultura and, and Max Cavalera." Yeah. And I was like, "Uh, no, but uh, sure, I guess if that's your yeah, yeah." yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you know, and you know, a crazy thing. It, that's interesting what you just mentioned because uh, uh, Sepultura. They are amazing, and we are very close to them. Actually, obviously, Jean played in the band for many years. And the band I used to have before, uh, Andreas produced an album, so we know them quite well, and we really respect and, and love what they do. Uh, but they really put a lot of emphasis and, and put the spotlight on the rhythm parts of Brazil, you know, the rhythmic thing. So many you know, typical Brazilian rhythms. And we do, have, we do have a bit of that, too, especially in the new album. But there is one thing that's related to the tuning, the guitar tuning, actually, because there is a, a in, in in like if you go to the countryside in Brazil, like where really are uh, how can I say still have I, I want I don't want to say jungle because we <laughs> even when you have jungle you still have like cities around it right right so so in this area as you have very uh, traditional music. And they they play acoustic guitar, and with ten strings. So they have ten string acoustic guitars, and the tuning it's a different tuning. It's not like a regular acoustic guitar tuning or a regular guitar tuning. And the guitar tuning that we use to do rock music, it's the same guitar tuning that this kind of music from the countryside of Brazil with ten strings acoustic guitars. It's the same kind of tuning they use. It's like it's which is an open core tuning. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So it's so I think we bring something that is very different than what Sepultura brought, and and people don't even people don't even know about this kind of stuff in Brazil. You know, it's so typical, and I understand. But uh, I also Brazil, it's crazy. Look at my name, man. My name is Theo <laughs> Fenderlo. You sound like you it's, should be from here. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not it's not Brazilian at all. <laughs> I mean, my, my, my family is Dutch, and Jonathan, Jonathan the singer, his name is Jonathan. You know, it's Jonathan Dorr. It's um, his German family. Uh, Brazil, it's such a mix. Rafael is a, is a Portugal, have a Portuguese passport, Portuguese family. I mean, Brazil, it's really a huge mix. Is it and because of you, the, like, uh, sorry to cut you off, but I'm just wondering, is it because no, no, no. do you have like a, a military base that brings in a, a more of a melting pot of people coming from other areas? Yeah, I think it is. It is very related to the second war. Actually, okay. after the after the second war, you have so many people coming from. Actually, I think even after the first war, you have so many people coming from Europe. So there is a city uh, uh, two hours from Sao Paulo that people speak Dutch there. They don't speak Portuguese. Yeah. And I think it's the biggest Japanese colony outside of Japan. It's in Brazil. So Brazil, it's a fucking mix. I mean, after the Second War, Brazil is the land of the promise. You know, it was like people were like, OK, I'll go there and I'm going to be happy there. So you have like, uh, like I said, there's no one in the band who is from like a really Brazilian origin because the real Brazilian origin is Indians. It's tribal. So it's a mix of European uh, backgrounds in Brazil, you know? So it's a crazy thing because it feels like, now that I'm talking to you, it's just like I'm just realizing. I think maybe symbolic, it's crazy because Brazil, at some point in history, a lot of people from the world came to Brazil, from Asia, from Europe, came to Brazil. And it feels like we are kind of representing 
the the coming back, you know, the the getting getting out of Brazil now. So and after being mixed with the coach here, so it feels a little bit like that. But to, but to answer your question more like like objective, uh, I, I never heard really weird questions in interviews. Uh, but I when I was a kid, and I used to go to Holland to visit my family there because all my family from from my father's side, they are, they live, still live in Holland, and I would get the most weird questions from other kids, like sometimes even their parents. People would ask me if we have like uh, crook dies on the streets here <laughs> if we have you know when you when your father is driving do you need to stop the car so a big snake can cross the road or a crocodile or, or like a lion or something or like man we don't even have lions <laughs> <laughs> so yeah this kind of stuff now as a guitar player you have me kind of intrigued with uh, what you were saying about this 10 string guitar i assumed with most 12 string guitars being in an open tuning but how, if you're going from a 12 to a 10, I guess I can kind of understand that with maybe some of your higher strings being kind of an octave kind of thing. In thinking about your guitar, the guitar playing on the record, I don't think I really recall anything sounding like it was on a seven or an eight string. So how are you trans, how are you transposing, transposing the tuning from a 10 string to a six? Yeah, well, actually it's more the relation in between the strings. Okay. Right. So basically, we, I mean, we have, uh, let me count real quick here. We have six different tunings. Okay. And, and like I said, we don't have, actually, now with the new album, we do have a couple songs that the two guitars are in the same tuning, but mostly we, we have even in different tunings. So I, would, I wouldn't even let, uh, be able to tell you all the tunings we use because some of them I don't use it. Well, you I know? figured it, so, it kind of sounded like at times it reminds it reminds me of like what the Deftones do. So like Chino is typically in C, and then Stefan with his seven or eight strings is somewhere in A or G sharp, I think. So at that point, it was making me wonder if you guys are kind of doing like that, where you have one guitar kind of at a a, a lower register to kind of create more of that lower end, and then the other actually, one is kind of filling the other the other side of it. Yeah, yeah. Funny, funny enough, it's not like that. Usually we do have the same uh, lower string, okay. so the, like we we uh, we call the bass string, right? right? Usually it's the same one, the same tuning, but the other ones are not, especially the three uh, highest ones. Okay, because th this way sometimes, like let's say uh, I'm in a guitar with an open tuning, right? And, and and by the way, not all of the tunings are open tuning, like open chord tuning. Right. But if I'm a, if I'm in a guitar that I am with uh, like. A, there's one guitar, there is uh, uh, D, A, D, D, A, D. So we have two Ds right in the middle, right there. Tremonti it, used it, that a lot on the last Creed record they did. Oh, yeah. I, I use that. Most of my guitars are tuning with the two strings in the middle of the same tuning. Yeah. Most of it. Because it, give, it gives kind of a chorus vibe yes. to it. Yep. You know? Yeah, it's so... I love it. And so, But if I have that... Uh, and I'm doing the, the most of the bass, let's say, you know, like like the bass guitar and, and the rhythm the rhythm guitar. I mean, if I'm doing that, it's good if the other guitar have more uh, options on the highest three strings to do some melodies or chords, you know, to balance against mine. So we look so much at melodies and harmonies, uh, especially because uh, Jean, who is uh, the drummer. 
he he's amazing with harmonies. I mean, although he's a drummer, he knows so much <laughs> about harmony. I mean, it's like sometimes I don't even bother. Sometimes he's in the drums. He's not playing guitar in the song. And I'm like, man, help me here. You know, help me find the harmony. Where, where should I go next? I mean, I, I, I'm missing this or that. And then he picks the guitar and he... And, and, and in that sense, it's good to have two tunings on those higher strings because you can sometimes sometimes you just can't do what what I'm like listening in my head on the tuning I'm using. And then you can do it on the other one. It's just impossible. It's literally impossible. You can't open your fingers enough. <laughs> so and then you can do it in the other one. Yeah. Yeah, that just kind of intrigued me, and I know I don't typically get into gear talk or, or things like that yeah. on on the podcast too often. But as you were saying all that, I was like, okay, well, I'm just in very intrigued by that. So maybe there is another guitar player listening that will listen to your music and then go, okay, well, like, what are they doing then? So yeah, and you know, man, and we feel so we feel so bad sometimes because we see videos of kids trying to play the guitar, <laughs> the the riffs, and they are like the regular tuning. And we're like, man, you you would never make it like that. It's just it's just impossible, you know. So yeah. yeah. Um, kind of in wrapping up, um, you know, like the, these. Uh, I mean, I think you have a unique uh, opportunity. You've already played festivals and stadiums with bands that maybe people aren't. And this sounds kind of like a backhanded compliment, and I don't mean it to be, but huh. that you're playing with bands that they're the reason people are there to to see them, not necessarily you. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of what some of these festivals you're going to be doing here in the States is going to be for you. Do you feel like those opportunities has better prepared you to come to a foreign market and basically share your music for the first time with people who may not be aware of who you are? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. Um, I've, I've been talking about this in interviews before, but it's such a different feeling. I mean, here here in Brazil, we can sell out some very nice venues and have like... Uh, a lot of people, hundreds or thousands of people there to see us and singing all the songs. And that's a great feeling. You know, it's a great feeling when, uh, I mean, when you see, oh man, so much love. Like There's like thousands of people here to see me. You know, it feels so good. But at the same time, when you are in a situation, as you just said, right, another country and you just got to prove yourself to these people there because they don't know you and they don't know your song. It also pushes you to the edge of what, what you can deliver. And that feeling, it's also amazing. Like, because we, we are really a band, man. We are a group. It's not, and, and when we are on stage and I see my buddies there giving their fucking souls on stage, it, it feeds you. And you're like, I, I won't let my friends down. And we're going to fucking conquer this, this audience here. And in the end of the day, it's always about us having a good time on stage, the five of us. And like, like I think the moments that I get more, more emotional on stage is when I'm playing guitar and Jonathan comes and hugs me without me expecting, right? And it feels like, fuck, it's my fucking buddy from 15 years here with me. And that's the, and we are playing like Sonic, Sonic Temple or Rock and Ring in Germany. That feeling of being accomplishing, bad just being... Like in Brixton Academy stage, we toured Europe with uh, with Vin Temptation. And they are fucking huge there. We did the, the biggest arenas, 18 or 20 shows. The situation that you just described, right? I mean, most most of people were there to see, I mean, like 99% of people were there to see them. 
It's funny, man, because we've never been in a show that at least there wasn't some people singing the lyrics, which is fucking crazy. Like the first time we toured Europe, there were people there singing our lyrics. And this is, I think, it's very much because of the DSPs, you know, Spotify and iTunes and uh, Apple Music and all that, But which is, it's great too. But uh, what I was saying is that, so we are touring with Within Temptation and, and people are really there to see them. But then when you realize I'm fucking in Brixton Academy or Heineken Music Hall in Amsterdam and I'm with my friends here having a blast. We're having an amazing time and we're fucking delivering it. That feeling, it's also amazing. So I think depends, depending on how you look, it can be always awesome. Even, even when people don't know you i'm uh very much you guys are i mean i hate to say it like this but you know i like when we do our sonic temple preview stuff i like kind of showcasing some of the bands that people probably don't know because i think those are usually the ones when you go to a festival like this those are the ones that you walk away going i'm really glad i went to this festival and i caught this band because i didn't know anything about them and i was really impressed by by this band and uh you know i to be completely honest i didn't know anything about you until basically amy was like hey i got this band i think you would be i think you should do one of the first interviews they've done in the states um and i think you know you will like this band and like i said it it reminds me of a a lot of different things i do like while still sounding fresh and unique and now i understand probably a lot of that is your weird tunings that uh you know are are home to you so i'm very much looking forward to uh seeing your set this year at sonic temple and uh hopefully we'll be able to uh meet in person and and you know, even awesome. if it's not on microphone, to uh, at least uh, have a, some conversations and maybe have a—I don't know if you drink at all—but have a, a beverage of some sort. I do. So uh, let's do it. And, and if we have a guitar nearby, we can explain you more about the tune. No oh. craziness. I would. I would love to see that because yeah. uh, I probably would be one of those people who's trying to be like, I can't do the hang ten thing with because uh, that's the only way to stretch yeah, my fingers yeah, yeah. to get this this note, <laughs> this chord for uh, <laughs> fretted. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. lastly, where can people find you guys online, you, you yourself and the band online? And, uh, obviously a lot of touring seems to be in store and, and a new record uh, in store for 2020. It sounds like, yes. Uh, well, you can find our music, uh, in all the DSPs. We are on Spotify, Apple music, Deezer, title, YouTube. Um, if you, if, if you are on Instagram, we are there. It's just Eagle Q talent. Uh, Facebook, same thing, just Eagle Q Talent. And if you go to EagleQTalent.com, you have all the links there. And yeah, that's it. And we are looking forward to release the new album. We, we recorded at 606, you know, uh, the Foo Fighters studio. We were there, yeah, we were there for like a month and a half. How would you like that Neve was, console? Oh, fuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> you should see the amount of guitars and amplifiers they have. It's like mind-blowing. Don't they call it's, that place the compound? We, actually, because of that. Yeah, they do, and it's like, and it's crazy because they allowed us to use it. Uh, so basically, I would say ninety-eight percent of the gear that were there, we were allowed to use. There was only a couple of guitars that were like collective items that that they have that we don't. I don't even want to touch it. But <laughs> we use a we used a lot of what they use. To record and live, and that was an amazing. We had we we used the drums there uh, from Queen, which is fucking amazing. You know, it's like crazy. Yeah, really cool. It was amazing. Well, anyway, so the album is gonna be out on May, and we're gonna release another single before the album is out. And yeah, it's exciting. Out of curiosity, who who produced it? Uh, Steve Avitz. Oh, he's been on yeah. the podcast. He's great. 
Oh, cool. Yeah, so you know Steve. Yes. Yeah, man, it's like he's he's a wizard. Oh, God. Pedal he's wizard. so good. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, uh, thank you very much for your time. And uh, like I said, looking forward to seeing you guys in a couple of months uh, in Columbus. Thank you, man. Likewise. Yeah. I'm going to hang there. Yeah, enjoy the rest of your evening. Or, uh, yeah, you. your evening. <laughs> yeah, it's still evening here. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. So that was my conversation with Theo Vanderloo of Eagle Kill Talent. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. They're, you know, not touring and they're not coming to the U.S., so... Well, you should check them out. Yeah, but you know, there, there's no reason why you can't check them out because now you have time to listen to their music and to to find out why I think they're one of the next big rock bands to come from overseas that's going to break over here in the U.S. Um, I feel like Eagle Kill Talent could kind of fit into that same realm where it's like I, I know this isn't a, a hard rock metal band per se that you know we usually talk about, but I think if you're into like Chevelle, if you're into God, like. Deftones, if you're into, you know, there's there's so many influences that I feel like people who like a wide array of rock and metal, I think there's something in Ego Kill Talent that will appeal to everybody. And I'm I'm so sad to know that they're not playing here in the States now. I mean, like I said, they were fucking coming with Metallica. What more do you need to know? Like, you cannot like Metallica's new music. But Metallica brings fucking banger-ass bands to come out with them. I mean, this this was fun. I know we kind of get a little gear-heavy and, and kind of guitar-heavy toward the end of our interview talking about, like, tunings. Like, But I think that's interesting, too, and I think that's what adds to their unique sound is the fact that they're, they're able to play in weird, interesting tunings that people aren't playing in, and that makes their music sound fresh and... I, I Man, I just don't know. I Like, in the day and age, like, where we constantly talk about, like, well, this just sounds like a rehashing of so-and-so or whatever. It's interesting to see bands like approach something from a completely different perspective than what we've been seeing. Yeah, I mean, this is this is kind of unique in the sense that like, you know, like you said earlier, this can that they kind of can appeal to fans of of harder music or rather underground music. I won't say harder, but um but also people that are that are into like more mainstream rock. And, you know, to, to your point about, you know, coming over with Metallica, like, I mean, worked out really well for Gojira, didn't it? It's weird, because at that point, Gojira was, like, a solid, what, 10 years into their career? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but, like, that was the tour with Em and Lamb of God. That, like, that was the tour that, like, pseudo-broke Gojira here in the States. Yeah, yeah, I mean, a- a- absolutely. And it's weird, because, I mean, I, I had, like, in my circles, like, a band like Gojira was already, like, massively influential, but, like, now I can, like, go to a, well, as of, like, 90 days ago, I could go to a gas station, and there might be, like, a dude there, <laughs> a dude there with a uh, with the Gojira shirt on, you know? <laughs> like, uh, and that, that was not common at the time, you know? Right. No, it's one of those things where, I mean, I just, I don't think you can underestimate the value of the bands that were taking them out, you know, like a Foo Fighters, like legitimately an arena sized band, Queens of the Stone Age, a pretty, one of the bigger, you know, underground desert rock, stoner rock, just rock bands. And is one of those things where it's like, I just feel like, you know, putting that, that, stamp of approval on this band means so much between all the bands that have kind of 
gone to bat for them. And I feel like it's just a matter of time before here in the States where they're, they're their next big band. And I don't know if they ever will be, but I, I believe in what they're doing. I think they, like I said, I have said, I think there's something there for a lot of people and is one of those things where I, I hope uh, once all of this shit, the coronavirus, the COVID-19 shit clears up, we're going to start getting our festivals back. We're going to start getting our club and arena. Fuck it, any touring back so I can start seeing shows. The biggest thing that has pissed me off about all this is I have I can't see anybody. Yeah, it's really frustrating. I mean, there's been a few bands that have done like the live stream thing, but like not enough. Uh, I mean, it's kind of hard to to do that i think for a lot of people i mean you still need like a whole team and if that team's more than 10 then it's like illegal right yeah technically (laughs) i just gotta say i've been to a lot of gas stations because as everyone knows that's where i get my beer (laughs) um you know and there's definitely more than 10 people at those gas stations but you know whatever it's fine yeah either way um Let's wrap this episode up, as we always do, by plugging the band and the member of the band we talked to. If you would like to keep up with Ego Kill Talent, simple enough. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Ego Kill Talent. If you would like to find them on their website, EgoKillTalent.com. There's a theme there, whether you want to realize it or not. Uh, if you'd like to keep up with Theo himself, you can find him on Instagram and Twitter at Theo Vanderloo. Look in the show notes, motherfuckers, and you will see how to spell that, because I assume you're not from here in the Midwest where you're going to see a whole lot of names like that, even though it's a Brazilian name, but as you heard, it's not. Uh, all that aside, if you would like to keep up with Dan, he's going to tell you where he can be found very easily on the internet. Well, I can be found on Twitter at Discuss Metal Dan. I can be found on Facebook under Daniel Terry. I can be found on Gmail at DiscussMetalDan at gmail.com. You can find my other podcast, Disloperfy Discussion, at DiscussMetal.com. And if you would like to keep up with all things this podcast, you can find us simply enough at Bruce Speak Pod, Facebook and Instagram, and Twitter. If you would like to keep up with us on YouTube... Everything is over on there as well. There are some videos if you are more of a voyeuristic type person and like to watch. If you would like to support us non-monetarily, you can do such by leaving a rating, reviewing, subscribing to this podcast on whatever podcast app you are listening to this on. If you would like to support us monetarily, you can head over to patreon.com slash brewspeakpod. You can email us at brutallyspeaking at gmail.com. Get you one of these fucking pins that has been sitting on my PlayStation 4 for the last handful of months. We are doing a blowout sale. $10 gets you one shipped anywhere in the U.S. I know you're not getting any mail right now because of this COVID-19 bullshit. So let me send you something really cool. I promise it will not have anything on it. They are all individually wrapped, so they were pre-COVID-19 things wrapped, and so you won't get anything from me. You could do that. That would greatly support us. I would say it's going to go support Dan going to Furnace Fest. I don't even know if that's going to fucking happen now. Uh, I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) Uh, So if you would like one of those... Support us. Let us know. If you would like to support our sponsors, let's start with TheBeanBastard.com. Go over there to get some delicious coffee. They are a local, independent, Buffalo, New York company that makes their own coffee. Support them if you are able to. On Point Pomade. Again, I don't know what you're doing if you are an essential employee. Well, fuck it. You need to look good while you're going out so people don't think you got COVID-19. And if you're at home and you can't work... 
well, then you need to look presentable to whomever you may see, uh, FaceTiming or whatever. Like, that's something I've been doing. So look presentable, unlike me. Uh, keep your beard and hair looking on point. Go to onpointpalmade.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, onpointpalmade. Use the code BSP15 and get 15% off your total order. And lastly, but not leastly, go over to rockabilly.com. They have over 500,000 bands and items in their online store. If you are a fan of anything on this podcast or related to this podcast, I guarantee there's something that you will appreciate and love and want. So if you're able to support Rockabilly, head on over to rockabilly.com. You can guarantee that everything is great and quality. It's not going to be like some bootleg knockoff bullshit that you're going to find on eBay and like all these other places where you get bootleg stuff from. They support the bands. They pay back the bands for the licensing for the items. So it's a win-win-win for everybody. You get sweet swag. Bands get a little bit of money, which they could definitely use in this time period. And don't forget to use our code BREW15 and save 15% off your total purchase. Go to rockabilly.com. So support our sponsors for supporting us. We appreciate them. We appreciate all of you for listening. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John. And I am Dan. We'll talk to you all next week.